Well, good morning. Welcome to Bridgewater. If you're new here, I want to welcome you. My name is Matt. I have the joy to be the campus pastor here. Uh, family, good to see you. I missed you last week. I just want to say thank you. Uh, thank you, obviously, for what David said for me and generous financially, but thanks for being generous with me and letting me go serve and love uh, our Vestal campus this last week and love on them. It was great to be with them. It was actually the first time there, uh, and I did host welcome for them as an overseer, but it was cool because I walked in and it felt just like home. Well, not quite like home, but it felt just like Bridgewater home, and it's just so cool to see what God's doing around uh, the area, so keep praying for them. Hey, we're kicking off a series, as David said, called Crazy Faith, uh, diving into what it looks like to live a life of faith and not just um, faith as in uh, I got saved and I went to church and I believe in a faith, but, but what is the biblical definition of faith? What type of faith does God look for? What is he asking out of your hearts and my hearts as we consider what it means to, to follow God? So for the next five weeks, we're going to unpack uh, what that looks like. I have been uh, praying praying a lot for this series, really believe over the last five or six months I've been working on this, that it's what God has for you in this season and for us as a church and praying that God would reignite in each one of our hearts a desire to love and follow and serve a God that um, maybe might ask us to do some things that are crazy. As, as we get started in this series, I want to ask you a question. If someone were to have to, at the end of your life, describe the way you lived um, and put your life in three to four sentences, would one of those sentences include that you were a person of great faith? Would, would they look on the way that you lived your life and specifically would they say, you know what, whenever I was around that person praying, the prayers that they prayed challenged me to believe God for more than what I was currently seeing. Their prayer life was full of faith. Would they say, you know what, that person, whenever I heard them talk, the words that came out of their mouth were so full of hope and confidence that it made me begin to think that maybe what I saw in my future wasn't all that there could be. Maybe there was more. I was discouraged and I knew exactly I could go to that person and my faith would be built up. Maybe they say, you know what, the way they lived, the way they handled their finances and the way that they chose to just operate their life by and large screamed the fact that they were people who lived with great faith. Or is one of the sentences about your life going to be, you know what, I, Christians, they went to church, I'm sure they had some faith, but by and large it was pretty safe. I listened to them pray, and it was good prayers. There was nothing wrong with it, but wasn't really challenged that they were believing for more from God. I heard them talk, and a lot of times there was some wrestle there, and sure, they believed that God could change everything, but wasn't quite sure if they believed it. See, we have a choice in the way that we live, in the way that we talk, in the way we act, in the way we think, in the way we pray, to live a life of great faith. And I would say it's one of the callings on each one of your lives if you've put your faith in Jesus. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus, it's still a mark in your life. You just have to figure out what that mark is. See, you have been called not to be average. You see, nowhere in the Bible do I and can I find words that describe believers as average, safe, and normal. It's just not in here. You know what's in here? Heirs to a kingdom, co-heirs with Christ, adopted, anointed, set apart. There's nothing average about you, so there should be nothing average about your life. You see, in the Bible, we find all of these heroes of the faith, great men of God who did incredible things, and, and they had faith for way beyond what they could see, like Abraham. We'll talk about him more in a couple weeks. But Abraham had the faith to believe that he got this word from God, so he packed up everything and left his country and went to a country he didn't even know where he was going. Consider Joshua fighting a battle. You know what Joshua does? 
prays this ridiculously bold prayer that the sun would hold still so that they can win the battle. Like, I don't know when the last time you prayed for the sun to hold place, but faith, Moses, chased by an army, standing in front of an ocean thinking, where's the boats? No, no, he says, I got a staff and I got the God of heaven and earth. Let me raise this staff and turn this into a highway. Men of great faith. But here's the thing, they don't have to be ancient heroes. They can be people you know. And in fact, I would argue it should probably be the person in the mirror. Because you serve an extraordinary God who wants to do incredible things through an ordinary person like you and me. Consider Noah. Have you ever really thought about the story of Noah and what it is? Like, There's a lot of scholars who believe, and if, um, some believe this, some don't, but there's a lot of scholars who believe up to the point of Noah, it had never rained on earth. Okay, So I don't have a strong opinion on that, but for story's sake, it sounds better if I say that it never rained. So today, you believe it has never rained uh, up to this point in Noah, okay? Don't quote me on that ever. I will deny it if you quote me on it, but there it is. Okay, so it's never rained, and then God comes to you and says, I want you to build a boat. Like, for what? What, at what purpose do I have a boat? And not only do I want you to build a boat, I want you to build a boat that looks like this. This is the, the remake of the boat according to the definitions and dimensions given in the Bible, Okay. So, cool, you know the story, but I want you to picture Noah. For all of the years it took him to build it, log by log, stick by stick, I'm sure everybody in the neighborhood was going, this dude's crazy. Like he's lost his mind. What do you mean you're building a boat for the whole zoo to go inside of it, right? This would be the equivalent of you driving up to my house, and I have lots of tall pines so I can hide all the things that I'm building back there. You walked up and you said, you know what? Um, what's that? Oh, that's a spaceship. Oh, yeah? Is it Elon Musk? Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to build it big enough that I can take the whole zoo with me, but I'm going to be smarter than Noah. I'm leaving out snakes and spiders because I think he misheard God on that one. Okay. So those are getting left out, but Jocko and Olivia and I are going because God's going to bring down fire. See you later. Now, what are you going to do? Go get your tinfoil hat, come back, and call me crazy. See, I'm sure for the years that Noah was building this, everybody around him said, this dude's crazy, but it was crazy when he started building it but it was faith when it started raining. All of a sudden, what was crazy in one season was counted as faith in another season. What was crazy way back then, when everybody thought he was nuts, became faith the moment it started raining. So, so how about you? Maybe that thing inside of your journal isn't as crazy as it seems. Maybe that thing that you've been burdened to pray for for years and years and years isn't that crazy. Maybe the restoration in your family that you've been hoping for and believing for might be counted as faith in one season. If you could endure being willing to being called crazy in this season. See, I think Christians really should be considered crazy. Now, not because you dress weird and you're terrible at singing and you, you, you do weird habits. I'm talking about you should be so crazy to the world because as you enter 2020 and 2021 and you look into 2022, you shouldn't have to be afraid. Why? Because you know the end of the story. You know how the book finishes. You know where you're going. And so I don't have to fear. I don't have to fret. Though the world may feel like it's on fire, I get to be the crazy one sitting back, speaking hope, speaking peace, speaking truth. Now that's crazy to a world who doesn't understand what we understand about the kingdom of God. So you, are you crazy? Like here's the definition of crazy. Here it is. Marked by thought or action that lacks reason. Who, who knows somebody that's crazy? Raise them high. Raise them up. All the way up. 
All right, now is it the person sitting next to you that you just testified this crazy, right? If so, we have magnets in the back for conflict resolution. Highly encourage you to pick one of those up. You're going to need it. All right, so we all know somebody that when you hear them talk, you're just like, ooh, all right, buddy, this is going to be a good story. Let's see what you got for me, right? What if your friends walked around and said, oh, I can't wait to hear what kind of hopeful things Matt's going to say today. I can't wait to hear what kind of hopeful things they're going to encourage me with today. Maybe they might bolster my faith. See, we all know somebody who's a little crazy, but are we crazy about the right things? The problem with the walk is that it requires faith in things that we don't totally have all the answers on. Like, have you ever considered the Christian faith? If you're not a Christian, you probably understand well, and you probably already think we're crazy. That's great. We're glad you're here. Glad at least you know what's true. Have you considered the Christian faith from the outside perspective? You're called to serve a God you cannot see, to follow a Jesus who was born in a manger, to be buried in the baptisms of water as a symbol of dying to your old self, being raised to newness in Jesus. You eat his flesh and his blood. You believe in a heaven that you can't preview, and you give a percentage of your money to a God you can't see, and you don't exactly know what he's going to do with it. Yes, right, cuckoo. Yet, it is the very foundation of everything we believe is faith. You see, here's what faith is. Trusting in something you cannot explicitly prove. Trusting in something you cannot explicitly prove. Now, I do believe the Word of God shares a testimony that is trustworthy and true and defines for us how the existence of God is provable and knowable, but it still requires faith. And so God is calling you, whatever stage you're in, to begin to believe for something that you can't explicitly prove. But the problem is as Americans and as people is we want facts. Where are we going? Well, just get in the car. Where, yeah, but where are we going? Get in the car. All right, I need facts, right? See, so often the facts you need erode the faith you want. The facts that you want erode the faith that you need. You see, it wouldn't be faith if you had all of the answers as to how God was going to get you there. It wouldn't require faith if you knew how God was going to bring about the restoration in your family that you've been hoping forever. It wouldn't be faith if you knew how God was going to pay that bill. It wouldn't be faith if you knew how God was going to bring a child, even though the doctor said you would never have a child. It would just be obedience. See, I find this to be true in the Christian walk, that God will give you one of two things. He will either give you the next step in your faith journey, or he will show you the mountaintop and where you were supposed to go, but you do not get both. And very rarely, if ever, do you get every step in between. What do you get? Hey, I've called you to go do this. You what? <laughs> you want me to do that? How am I going to get there? One step at a time. See, it requires faith in someone other than myself. Which leads us to our definition of crazy faith for this series. Thoughts and actions that may seem unreasonable, but trusting fully in what you cannot explicitly prove. And I ask you, when was the last time you believed God for something that seemed unreasonable? When was the last time God stretched your prayer life and your faith life and your thinking so much that you said, I'm almost embarrassed to tell you what I'm believing for because it seems unreasonable and crazy? When was the last time you were willing to put God out and say, you know what, the creator of the heavens and earth, here's my prayers. Maybe, just maybe, I'll begin to ask for something that's way beyond whatever I could manufacture with my own hands. 
Listen to how the Bible defines faith for us. Hebrews chapter 11, the chapter of faith, one verse says this. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not yet see. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for. And here's what the enemy is going to begin to try to do in your life. Let's go back to the verse real quick. Here's what the enemy is going to begin to try to do in your life. He's going to get you to stop hoping. Because your hope is the foundation to your faith. And so what happens in a lot of our hearts is situation after situation, bill after bill, relationship after relationship, heartache after heartache, you're convinced to stop hoping. It's safer to not hope. It's safer to just begin to believe that what's in front of you is what will always be in front of you, that what has been true of your life in the past will always be true of your life in the future. It's just safer. And so if you can begin to dash your hopes, your faith will soon follow. See, some of you stopped hoping for that financial freedom. Some of you stopped hoping for that kid. Some of you stopped hoping for that wayward child. Some of you just stopped hoping in general. And my prayer for you in this series is that you would begin to do the dangerous work of hoping again. And not hoping in circumstances and because that's where a lot of us went awry. Because we began to put our hope in the job. We put our hope in the spouse. We put our hope in the kid. We put our hope in the thing. And whatever I'm putting hope in, I'm building confidence in. And what happens is we put our hope and confidence in the what rather than the who. See, faith is based on God's character. And faith is confidence in who God is, which is our first point today. The problem is I've put faith in a lot of things that aren't God. And so then as those things begin to fail, I begin to question my faith and the, the, the willingness to hope again, but I need to step back and say, okay, 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 wait, 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 wait. My faith can only be in the character of God. And I know the character of God is unfailing, and I know it, it cannot disappoint. So let me begin to put my hope in him rather than the circumstance. And we'll get to this more in a couple weeks. But, but I want you to see this because I, I think you can understand all of these things to be true. But when, I, when you put it into real life, it becomes a little bit tricky. Mike, you want to come help me? I, Mike's going to help me with an illustration. Mike Kilmer works with our youth group. Uh, love this guy. I made Dan Glue. Yeah, give him a hand. Youth group. Woo! Small plug for youth group. If you have any teens, they're having their closing at 1 p.m., right? Yes. 1 to 3 o'clock at Depew Farm. It's going to be a blast. They did not invite me, so it'll be even more fun because the pastor's not there. Anyway, so uh, what, what if, Mike, I was to tell you that I knew God's will for your life? What would you say? Probably that I'm crazy. That's what you should say, right? Okay. But I'm going to tell you today that I know the will for Mike's life. The will for Mike's life is that he would sit in this chair, right? So this is a chair that God has appointed for Mike Kilmer to sit in. Now, what do you think about that chair? Does it look like it can hold you up? It doesn't look like it wants to hold you up. No. I'm just going to be honest no. with you. No? No. Okay. No. See, here's what happens. You come into the faith journey, and you begin to believe God, and then you hear God ask you to do something, and God asks you to do that thing, and then you look at what God's calling you to do, and you go, ha, there's just no way, God. That's just not going to happen. Now, what if I were to tell you, Mike, that um, I have the manual for this chair, and it tells me that it's rated for your weight. I asked your wife. It's rated for your weight, and it could hold you. Would you, would you sit in it then confidently? No. Uh, you sh- <laughs> no, right? no, still no. And, and here's what happens in your faith. He intellectually agrees with the facts that this chair could hold him. I intellectually agree that God is God. I can intellectually understand the words of the Bible, but that's a far stretch from actually putting faith in it. See, here's here's the faith formula for us this morning. Intellectual agreement plus trust equals faith. 
See, Mike can stand here, and you can stand in your faith journey and look at what God is calling you to go and do and go, yep, I see it. But that's a far stretch from Mike taking four steps over here and plopping down on this chair confidently. And that's where your faith is at. I know God said that I could believe him for that. I know God promised this. And God said, yep, on the condition that you come sit and the promises, which will be uncomfortable. But here's what happens. See, Mike's going to stand here like you stand there and look at what God's calling him to do and go, whew, just don't think it's ready for it. I don't think I'm ready for it. I don't think it has what it is to hold me up. And then life always does this, and you know this to be true, and he knows this to be true, and I know this to be true. You wait long enough, and something else comes along the way. So while you're waiting for the promises of God, life has, has a way to bring something in front of you that looks a lot more reasonable. Does that look better to you? That one looks like it can hold you up, right? So, so here's what you do. You, say, you know what, God, I think that's what you said, but then you provided this opportunity, and this opportunity looks way better, way more reasonable. So let me move on over. Let me just enjoy some comforts. Let me enjoy some safety and some security. But, if, but you sit in this chair, you know what happens? You spend the rest of your life wondering where God went. You spend the rest of your life wondering why the promises of God have not come true, and God's looking at you going, they're over here. Now, Mike, what if you saw God do it for somebody else? What if God showed somebody else how you could have that kid or how you could believe him for that promise? Would you believe him then? Would you sit in it then? Maybe. Probably not confidently still, right? (laughs) Same with this. All of us, though, isn't it? We can watch God provide for somebody else's bill. We can watch God meet somebody else's spiritual need. We can watch God break somebody else's habit, somebody else's addiction. We can watch God provide the child when the doctor said no. But when you ask us to come sit in the chair, man, you're crazy. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate you. Give me a hand. Here's what happens in our spiritual journey. How much energy is wasted here standing? How much of our spiritual life is spent here looking at what God is calling us to do, going, I just don't think it can hold me up, God. I I just am not convinced that what you said, like I get it, but it's a far stretch from stepping into it. But here's the thing about this chair, is it makes you trust the manufacturer. It makes you trust the maker. It makes you trust the designer. And when you sit in this chair, there's nothing flattering about this, is there? There's nothing that looks good about my figure. It's not becoming of me to sit in this chair. It's not very comfortable, and it doesn't make me look very smart. See, but faith was never designed to do that for any of us. Faith wasn't designed to make you look savvy, to make you look intelligent, to make you look wise. Faith is meant to make God look really, really good. And I'm convinced if the church could begin to sit in the places of God's promises, sit in the place of believing God at his word, that the world outside might look on and go, man, there's a group of people who are willing to put their weight on the promises of their God. There's a group of people who I think are a little bit crazy, but they seem to understand something I don't yet get. And if we could put our full weight on the promises of God, what would happen to those around us who are wondering about Jesus themselves? 
What would happen to the unbelieving people around you if you began to speak such hope, confidence, and faith that they went, what are you putting your weight on and how do I get it? So it requires us often to get out of the places of comfort and security that we have placed ourselves and get into the uncomfortable spaces of beginning to believe God to do what only God can do. Because in our natural self, we like this one because it's controllable. This one requires us to begin to follow someone other than ourselves. James says it this way, and we're going to read out of the NLT because I love the way he puts it. He says, you say you have faith. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. So I love this translation. I, I love the sarcasm, and I've confessed this many times. Sarcasm is my vice, right? Just good for you. Yay, you believe. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble and tear. Now, you need to, you need to park here and understand what he just said. It's not enough to intellectually agree that God is God. It's not enough to intellectually agree that Jesus came and paid for your sins. Even the demons believe that to be true, right? So if if you're here and you don't intellectually agree, I would say even the demons understand this to be true. They're not denying God's existence. They're fully aware of it. And in fact, they're terrified of it. But here's the deal. They don't get to enjoy it. Only those who put their weight on the truth begin to enjoy, which is what our next verse says. How foolish. Can't you see, without good deeds, faith is useless. So it's not enough for me to just agree. If my faith is going to mean anything, I have to put my weight on it. I have to put my life on the truth that I know to be revealed in Scripture, that Jesus is the one and only God who came and saved me from my sins and three days was resurrected and then set me free from sin and bondage that I might go tell the world of a Savior who's done the same for me, that they themselves might come sit and find the freedom that they're looking for. That is faith. See, the thing about faith in Christianity is it's not a foundation. It is the foundation to everything we believe. Faith is the foundation to everything we do in here. This building, me on stage, does not exist without faith And Jesus, I want you to see this to be true in all these other passages in Scripture. Let's throw them up here. You can't get saved without faith. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. Not that you get to boast about it, right? There's nothing I get to do about it. Gift of faith. You can't get saved without that next one. You can't please God without it. Now, isn't that interesting? (laughs) Hebrews tells us without faith, all that we do is unpleasing to God without faith. Why? Because I put confidence in me, not in him. Next one. You can't pray without it. These two verses tell us essentially that if you're praying without believing that God hears you, you're just wishing. It's just a wish. When you have faith to believe that the God of the universe would would tune in to the thoughts and prayers upon your heart and begin to believe God for that, faith. The last one, John 10.10. You can't live the abundant life without it. And here's what I mean by, by this. If you're not willing to believe God at his word, you're not going to begin to sit in this place. Because the things we chase most in life, comfort, security, all the things we talked about, are so easily found in the places of the world. But the things God's after in your life, joy, peace, holiness, sanctification, Christ-like character, those aren't found in comfortable places. Those are found in the discomfort of following God into uncomfortable places because we know he's called us there. That is where we find the abundant life. What did, what did the rest of Hebrews say about faith? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 said this, is the assurance 
about what we do not see. Do anybody feel sure about the things you can't see? Right? Like we live in a Google age where somebody tells you something and you Google it and then you fact check the fact checkers on whether that was true or not. And then you still doubt it. Now I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I'm saying it's symptomatic of the heart. That we're people who want insurance, not assurance. See, so often we can begin to frame our Christian journey as a, as a bill of insurance, right? So I, I went to church uh, every week of my life, so that's got to count for something getting into heaven. We want to put insurance on our good deeds that God would look at our good behavior and give us a, a relatively easy pass on life because we're a good person. I want insurance on my behavior. We want insurance on our tithe. <laughs> God, I'm going to put this little tithe in here. I'm going to pray that you bless my finances. What is that? I want insurance on what I do. But God doesn't offer us insurance. He offers us assurance. See, it's not faith if you put insurance on what you did. It's only faith when you put assurance on what he did. So a lot of us will find ourselves, myself included, sitting in the place of insurance. Oh, man, God really blessed my good deeds. <laughs> I'm such a good... Well, I didn't say that out loud. Oh, man. Tithe time. Yep, tithe. Yep, good. Okay. Hmm. Insurance check. Where'd God go? Where's God? I put insurance on everything I did rather than assurance on what he did. Do you see that? Do you see the subtlety there? See, God's not calling you to a safe life. He's not. He's not calling you to a secure life. He's not calling you to one that probably would even make sense. He's taken some of you already into journeys and avenues that you would have never picked for yourself. And yet, if we're willing to follow him into those, what we find is the life that God has for us and all of a sudden, the uncomfortable chair becomes not that hard to follow. You need to notice when you begin to build obedience and begin to follow God into faith that getting into the chair the first time seems really uncomfortable. Like the first time I tested this chair to make sure it was actually going to hold me, I was a little hesitant. Seven times later, I'm not too scared. So it is with God. As you begin to build confidence in the character of God and you begin to say, you know, God, I believed you a bunch of years ago for what I thought was impossible then. I'm going to be crazy enough to believe you again that you might actually do beyond what seems reasonable. In 2013, I was serving overseas in, in missions, and many of you know parts of the story, but um, I was serving, loved what I did over there, was, was really blessed to be a part of it. But one day after a corporate worship, uh, one of my dear friends came up to me and said, uh, hey, Matt, I've been praying for you for the last uh, couple weeks. I just really feel like God's calling you to church planning. I said, okay, well, that's interesting because I personally have a little bit of beef with the church right now and I'm not attending church as a missionary, which was something God was working on in my heart. I said, so uh, I think you missed that one, but all right, cool, cool, cool story. Just tucked it behind my ear, just walked away. Two weeks later, a dear friend of mine, a mentor, came up to me and said, hey, I've been praying for you the last couple months and I really feel like God is calling you into pastoral ministry. And I said, hmm, did you talk to so-and-so about this before you came and talked to me? No, didn't talk to them at all. I said, huh, that's crazy enough that it might just be God. So I began to think about it. I began to pray about it. But it was so far off my radar. I said, that'd be crazy that you would ever do that with my life, God, knowing where I came from and what he's brought me through. And man, just crazy. About a month later, uh, give or take a month or so, the base leader of the ministry came up to me and said, Matt, I've been praying for you over the last month. And you can guess what he said. Church planning and pastoral ministry. And I said, all right, y'all are nuts and y'all need to leave me alone, okay? I'm in missions. I love missions. I'm going to stay overseas. It's warm. Praise the Lord. Here I am. 
Well, I, I started working with the church. I began to heal some of the wounds I had towards church and uh, started serving as an associate pastor with them. And three years later, God called me off the field for a season of respite and started attending here. Loved it, enjoyed it, loved being in the back row and just attending. And uh, Pastor Larry came up to me one day and said, hey, I want you to consider being the, uh, the campus pastor when I leave. And I said, okay, well, you're crazy. That's crazy. No, thank you. All right. So, so here I am at this point, uh, not married, no college degree, no seminary degree, thinking, this guy's nuts. <laughs> and then he has a heart attack, and you can't say no to a guy who's had a heart attack, okay? So he comes up to me and says, hey, I want you to be the interim transition campus pastor. And Bridgewater Leadership came to me and said the same thing. And I'm like, man, I'm 24 years old. I'm six weeks away from my wedding. This is nuts. Maybe it's God. And four years later, I stand here serving as a pastor with a church ministry that's heart is to make disciples in Northeast PA and New York by multiplying churches. You know what they call that in some circles? Church planning. <laughs> and I said, what was crazy in one season might be considered faith in another season. And it's not about me. Nothing about this looks good on me. I'm well aware that God has positioned me to sit in a yellow chair on stage so that you, whatever it is that you think in your mind that disqualifies you from believing God, might begin to believe God for something that seems crazy that you might put hope and faith again in the promises that God has laid out in his word. That you, as you battle the demons in your own mind, would begin to believe that the power of the cross actually has the ability to break the chains in your life. That you would begin to believe for restoration in your family. And you would begin to pray unreasonable prayers. God, I haven't seen my family in the same building in 10 years. God, would you do that? And not only that, I want everybody to be laughing around the table. Unreasonable for some of us, and yet, God. Maybe you're here today, and you've just stopped hoping. You've been standing here, either looking at the chair or sitting in that one, and you know what God has called you to do. You know the thing he's asking you to step out. Would today be the day that you say, you know, God, I don't have all the facts, but i got the faith in you, and I'll follow. Maybe you're here today, and you've been standing on the outside of Christianity, and maybe you intellectually agree um, that one, we're crazy, but two, this might be true. Maybe today's the day you put your full weight on it. Maybe today is the day that you stop waiting for all of the facts, and you go, what? I just want to take a step of faith and believe that God loves me, knows me, cares about me, died for me, and has a future for me. Maybe today's the day it's time you put your weight on that. And we would all, one day, be told we're crazy for how much we believed God. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you have met us, many of us, myself at times, in places of little faith, in places of, of wonder and worry, and yet there you are, God. There, here, present, with us, revealed in your word evident in your people, facts that you care about us, God. I pray for those in this room that you're calling and whatever it is that you're stirring in each one of their hearts to begin to believe you for, God, that you would stir faith in this building, God, that you would stir faith in this church and all of our Bridgewaters this morning and in all of these communities, God, that we would begin to see people after people begin to put their full weight on your promises, God, that we would stop trusting the, the circumstances of this life and begin to trust you. God, I thank you for the confident assurance that you give us 
that your love is never going to leave us. It's never going to forsake us. God, I pray that we would find our all in you. God, I pray that you would use our lives in the brokenness of it to make yourself look really, really good, God, and we would leverage our lives to make much of the name of Jesus. We love you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.